The word developer has always been evolving from assembly to systems, operations, and beyond. And the term developer relations has traditionally meant we're engaging with people who consider themselves full-time professional developers. However, over the past few years, the term developer has expanded to encompass more than this professional developer persona. And these days, some DevRel teams advocate for, evangelize to, and create communities for SREs, enterprise architects, students, or decision makers in early stage startups, in addition to low code or citizen developers. And while these people may fall outside of our traditional developer persona, many DevRel teams are looking to support these people who are using our technology for one-off solutions to their problems. Today, for this Community Pulse episode, we're interested in learning more about whether this changes the scope of DevRel, and if so, how. You're listening to the Community Pulse podcast. Welcome your host, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, PJ Haggerty, and Wesley Faulkner. Welcome back to another episode of Community Pulse. Today, we're excited to speak with a couple of amazing guests we have lined up uh, who both have some great expertise uh, in the subject that Mary was just sharing with us. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Jennifer and Maddie to the show. Hello, both of you. Uh, Jennifer, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Ritzinger, and I'm a general manager at Microsoft in developer relations. I work with Jason. And I love the topic of today's podcast because um, we work with all types of people um, and all flavors of potential uh, developers. And so um, I love how the world is expanding. And this is a great topic. Thanks so much for having me today. And Maddie, even though you, you've been with us a number of times, would you share with our audience a little bit what you got going on these days? Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, my name is Maddie Stratton. I'm currently the director of DevRel at a company called Ivan. Um, but, uh, I've been, been devreling in, in a lot of different places, but my background is primarily in, uh, system administration, operations, infrastructure, uh, which, which lends itself a little bit to how did you get into developer relations? So I think there's, uh, and I, I've, I've, uh, worked in a lot of operational organizations, um, doing advocacy, uh, and evangelism type work too. So I'm, I'm real excited to talk about it. This is a, there's a couple DevRel topics that are close to my heart, and this is one of them. Uh, so really, really jazzed to be here today. It's awesome to have you too. This is a very meaty subject and something I think we're all kind of wrestling with. Um, and the first question I have for you, Maddie, and then to uh, Jay Ritz, is when, when we're talking about DevRel, we hear developers, but now we're talking about beyond developers and that umbrella kind of expands. Can you explain about who we're talking about? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, words are hard. I think that's the that's the podcast right there. We can be done now. Words are hard. <laughs> um, it's funny because this is a lot like DevOps, right? Like where DevOps was a shortcut to make a point and then lo and behold, there's nuance to it. And just like DevOps is not just about developers and ops people, it's about a larger zeitgeist. Uh, but we still call it that way. And then everybody thinks that's what it means. Uh, we use the word developer in, in DevRel, I think, to shortcut to mean technical professional that's building something. And nobody solves this problem really well in terms of names, right? Like Amazon, they call them, the term is builder, 
right? You know, they, they say, okay, we're builders, we're whatever. You you could say, I mean, engineer, but maybe it's not engineers and there's places engineer means a thing or whatever. Um, I think it's, <clears throat> to me, when I think about DevRel that is not specific about software developers, it's about someone who is using your product or technology to further their own thing that they're creating, right? The thing that they're building. Again, builders is... Is, is, is close. But then you could make the argument and say like, well, what about people in marketing operations? Do they need advocate? Like, you know, everybody like is that customer success. Isn't that whatever? So <clears throat> we tend to think of it as a more technical builder. I think when, when, when we're talking about that and that's a, again, a, a description that's rife with gatekeeping and not every, you know, what do we mean by technical but we, we tend to meet an audience that is using the technology um, and not even necessarily to build a thing with it too. Because when I think about doing advocacy, like when I was at PagerDuty, it's about the professionals. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. You know, Jay Ritz, like I, I, I've spent a lot of time in the Microsoft ecosystem. So, right. So are the people we're talking about, they're either developers or IT pros. That's those are the words, right? So if you're if you're an IT pro or you're a you're a, a a software developer, then that's probably who we're talking about. Yeah, we also have like IT DMs, IT decision makers, and stuff like that. And in, in terms of like working on software, we're all familiar with scope creep, but they have to be some sort of barrier. So Jay Ritz, how would you describe this new segment we're talking about? Maddie, you actually reminded me of a story. Um, Microsoft has an annual developer conference, which is now called Build, but it used to be called back in the day, the Professional Developers Conference. But we wanted to expand it because we knew that not everyone was going to be a professional developer or is a professional developer, but the technology applied to everyone. So we wanted to be more inclusive. And so we moved to Build, and you were talking about builders and makers and innovators and things like that. But this is such an interesting question for me because um, a good chunk of my team actually is focused in education, where we work in um, higher education at the college and university level with students um, and their faculty influencers. But these are people who may or may not be programmers when they graduate. Um, but they are using technology now to, like Maddie said, you know, um, feel their innovation. And really, that's the goal. So for us, we have really widened the aperture on how we think about developers. It's very non-traditional. It can be inclusive of everyone. And if we think about how people are using technology, whether it be around data, I mean, it could be a historian. It could be an anthropologist. It could be a psychologist. It could be anyone really in any industry or field that is using data to help kind of, you know, size up their their landscape or their competition. And especially with tools now, like with you know, power dynamics and things like that, it's becoming so accessible. But we're we're I, I'm with you. Like we have really at Microsoft, um, we think very broadly in this term. I'm I'm with everyone. Like, what is that? What is that good term that is a catch-all? Because developer relations, you know, is sometimes not the most inclusive term, um, but we we really are thinking about everyone. And if you, uh, you know, we have, our, when we put out our content and we do our shows and our videos and our events, um, everyone is welcome. And I think that's actually one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that as we think about like our large efforts, like these big developer conferences, we've been able to go online, we've made them free. We've become so much more inclusive over the last you know, two or three years since the, the height of the pandemic in 2020, which is also widening the net and including so much more people into this world of technology, which is so exciting. 
I, you mentioned PDC or the primary developer conference, which was the, and I, the other, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting at dinner with someone. And I was trying to remember the name of the IT pro equivalent of that. And by the way, Googling, what was the name of the conference that Microsoft used to have takes a while. But by the way, the answer is TechEd. It took me a long time to remember TechEd, but I used to go to TechEd a lot. That, that's awesome. It sounds like there's a lots of different things going on in the world and like how it relates to things. One question I would have, and this is something that's come up in a few conversations I've had about this. What would you consider the difference when we look at DevRel for developers and and soft basic software education where we're educating end users? Like, is there a difference there or is this something that actually overlaps? And and I guess the the, the secondary, the corollary there is if it's software education, is software education DevRel? There's one that comes to mind as someone who's struggled with doing ops rel, if you will, as, as I would call sure. it, in, in an industry that focuses primarily on dev rel. Uh, a lot of the practices we have, especially around measurement and, and success, um, assume an API, for example, right? But like, like how, do you, how do you look at, if you're looking at something that's not about... Um, a commercial conversion, right? Like that's easy enough if you're saying like, okay, whether or not somebody paid you money or not, but that's not necessarily where we focus on in DevRel. We're thinking about adoption. Um, you go to stuff and it's like, well, it's really easy. Just like, did you do this thing? And was the API consumed more? Or how many people are using the API and doing whatever? And I'm like, I work at PagerDuty, yo, right? You know, like that's not a thing. We don't do it that way. It's it's how do you... So, so seeing impact is harder because... I think a lot of, I've seen this too, is a lot of the work in OpsRel um, is behavioral and uh, procedural versus technical in terms of the adoption, right? And it's, it's an interesting thing where I, I've, I've spent a fair amount of my DevRel career doing more OpsRel and now I'm running a team that is much more developer focused. We, we have ICP, we have ICP and ICP is not insane clown posse. It's ideal customer profile, but we have personas that are more software engineering focused. Thank you for that clarification. That was super <clears throat> yes, important. Yes, it's very important. Um, but it's been interesting to me because I've worked for places where there, a lot of times when you look at this optional stuff, it's transformative, right? Like what you have to do for people to understand your product and why they want to use it. They have to think differently about how they work completely. So the type of work you're doing is a much more awareness and to use a term that I hate to use in public thought leader stuff. And by the way, I hate the term, but come up with a better one. That's what I used to say. My okay. boss at page duty. I'd say, don't, don't use that term. He says, what should I say instead? I said, I don't know. Just not that. And then we just so decided get, it was just fine. As long as you never said it in public. But, I get squirming with thought leader too, but what about subject matter expert? Uh, you know what? The, the term that I always liked, and I actually did steal this from, um, from Alex Solomon, who's the page duty founder. And, uh, and it's in Mary's book in my little blurb. Uh, I use the term drive the state of the art forward, right? So we're moving the state of the art forward. So it's, it's, it is subject matter expert, but it's, it's more about, um, it is su subject matter expertise. It's about, tr it's transformative. Uh, it, the, the, the difference is you can be a subject matter expert in like writing Python, Mm -hmm. But that's not the type of, you know, you never say you're a Python thought leader. I don't know. Someone's yeah. out there. Is well, I know. I think where you're going is what you, what we experienced at DevOps days events and a lot of the old O'Reilly events is it's the people on stage are, aren't usually showing a demo. They're actually trying to change how you approach 
solving a problem. They're, they're yeah. like solutions, you know, gurus rather than let me show you the, the five lines of code you're missing. Yeah. It's, Wait, so can it's... we go back a second? Did Mary wrote a book? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Page six, I think is, is where I, where I'm. Yeah. You're, you're early on in there, yeah. but I think it's, I think it's, you know, uh, the impact that you have kind of, kind of dictates subject matter expert versus thought leader things and everything else. But off topic slightly. Um, <laughs> but speaking of kind of those uh, personas and the different people that we're talking to, um, when your product and features can be used by so many different people with a variety of those technical skills, how do you wind up prioritizing those different personas or skills, either in the way that you're helping to educate people about who you are and what you do, or in the the content that you're producing, the, the people that you're speaking to, how do you, I guess, decide where those priorities lie when you have a limited amount of bandwidth? Let's go to you, Jay Ritz. Sure. Um, so, I mean, it, it, you know, at Microsoft, we're in developer relations. We have different teams that are organized in different ways. Some are by technical community, some are by audience. Um, and so those teams have those priorities. And, and of course, we look at all the, the data, just like everyone else, and, and understanding where the most growth is going to come from. Um, and that's for, at, at, on a lot of different levels, right? Geography, where in the world are the most developers sitting? Where's the student population? Where, um, you know, language, you know, all of that um, tied to industry and things like that. Um, but what I will say is that, you know, I think we get a lot, I think there's a lot more extensibility to be had than we realize. I mean, we are seeing a lot of our content being reused. For example, um, we have at Microsoft something called Microsoft Learn, which is a free training and skilling platform. And we have content that is curated for students specifically, AKA beginners. But we have way more people that are coming to, to consume that content than people who are actually students. Um, and so, you know, even if you're a SME or um, you know, way into your career and experience, you're always learning something new. And actually, I actually think that's something that's unique about developers and people that are technical, that it's just there's like in their DNA to be so curious. Um, they're always learning. And, you know, the world is so great for that right now in terms of ubiquity and accessibility and being able to, you know, have that content. Um, it's really leveling the playing field. And that's really exciting, actually. So um, it, it can depend on the different priorities. Um, and of course, there are short term bets, there are long term bets. Um, and some pan out and some don't. Um, and I think that Jason and I are lucky to be in a group that allows for um, a lot of experimentation, a lot of piloting. You know, we throw a lot of spaghetti on the wall. What sticks? What doesn't stick? Um, and so we get to really learn that way and have a growth mindset. A lot of experimentation, definitely. That's actually a really, and that's a, that's a separate thing about one of the things that's really nice with DevRel is that our experimentation is relatively low calorie compared to other things. So like if we're trying to figure out, and this is, this is a slightly off topic, but just to illustrate the thing, right? Like if I'm sitting there trying to figure out, you know, should we partner with Datadog, let's say, right? And I like our ISV group or our biz dev group, our partner group, like doing an actual partnership with someone else is a lot of work. You have to build an integration. You have to, you have all this stuff and you might not even know if it makes any sense. 
you know what takes almost no effort? Jumping on a live stream with Datadog and someone from Ivan and compare the audiences and talk about stuff and see if people are interested. Does that prove that, yes, there's something there? No, but it definitely can help influence. So I think us, I think that's a really powerful thing in DevRel in general is that we have the ability to do more experimentation. Um, I think the thing that's interesting with personas, and this, again, as you look at the, the as you shift from that sort of traditional developer of the DevRel, um, is the scope and the sphere of influence that an individual has in that type of a role. So a developer, if they're looking at some new data framework or I don't know, see, again, I'm not a developer. I don't even know what you DevRel developers for. But, you know, I mean, something within that, that can be within the scope of just their squad of just their service, of just their project. But you're talking about OpenShift? That's your whole freaking company, right? You know, I mean, that's huge. And um, it impacts at a scale that, number one, is hard to experiment with because how do you pilot small on, on stuff that's broad infrastructure and fundamentally changes how you work? And then also, um, how do you even try it like that i was thinking jay rich when you're talking about like student developers and stuff like we're getting way better at this but like figuring out like how to change the way that you work at scale is not a thing you can figure out how to do by yourself in your spare time um so the bet you know from the organization side like those those broad sphere of influence personas they the deals are bigger but there's fewer of them and they're harder to get right you know so it's a it's a tougher thing it's it's a lot harder to do a hack day about you know um istio than it is on a hack day on you know some new javascript framework mm. and, and um so jay rich you just uh reminded me something that i want to chime in here i said i'm going to go off script and here i go um the the things that we do in 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 you know DevRel, even though within our team we we don't use that term as much, you know we're next generation experiences, and I think for me that's a big shift uh, mentally. You know, it's not just like a a little bit of a um, identity you know crisis. Like I thought I was in DevRel, but now I'm like this next gen thing. But honestly, I'm embracing it because it to me allows for a lot of uh, open minded experimentation, trying new things. Like we. We have, we're calling personas here, but like we have students that we care about and we have uh, the people who are just trying to like get their, uh, their side project, you know, picked up and turned into a, a startup. Uh, there's, th those people have different needs, um, you know, technically and mentorship and there's just, there's all kinds of stuff that we can like put our, put our hands in and try to help out wherever we can. It's not always about uh, pointing people to docs. It's not always about like connecting them with stuff. Um, and I love that we can experiment. And, and I think that that's a big part of like this next gen mindset of is, is experimenting with new things. Uh, I'm going to start with Jay Ritz, uh, on this question. How do you know what, what to invest your time and energy and, and just, you know, things in when so many things feel experimental and could be like sending you off in the weeds and you just don't know, but you know, it, like on one hand, it seems like you have to do that. You have to go, you have to go try some things out that you've never done just to see what opportunities are, uh, are there. And then, but you also know that it could be a dead end. Um, and it just feels, you know, with so much limited time, uh, you know, and you don't always want to be constantly learning from mistakes. 
how do you how do you decide? I don't know if there's a great quick shorter version of that, but like with so many experiments we could be doing, how do you prioritize where to put that investment? That's a great question. And also that's interesting, Jason, that you don't think about being in DevRel because our, our team name is Next Generation Experiences, but I think of us as being in developer relations because what we do is DevRel. Um, so that, that's just interesting, but you make a good point. We're, it, we are Next Generation Experiences and that means we are so much more than, than learning, than like docs and, and training content. We are giving experiences. Um, we have all the influencer and ambassador programs on our team. And so they're activating for us all over the world or with us all over the world. It takes, you, you got to move people beyond the one dimension and you have to like give them, give them memorable experiences. You have to have some emotion as part of that um, to really connect and to really build hopefully some lifelong affinity. Um, and so it, it's so much more than just documentation. But in a, in a world of experimentation, certainly um, that's a fair question. You have to be, I, mean, I think we've gotten a lot smarter about our pilots um, and our experimentation. We have a lot of data. We're blessed to work with the data science team so we can really understand the telemetry. Um, but we don't just, you know, we can't, you know, just experiment all day long. And at some point you got to call it too. Um, but obviously, you know, we focus on, um, markets that are really important. We focus on where we're seeing a lot of growth. Like we're doing a lot of things right now with, um, the, the group that runs power platform, um, and just that, the whole low code, um, population, we feel like that is just untapped. Um, and there's so much there that we could, could bring to the table. Um, some of it is more, more moonshots, um, things that probably aren't going to really realize into a full kind of execution, go to market mode for maybe three, four years. Um, but we're kind of testing the waters, throwing the rock into the pond and seeing what the ripple effect is like. Um, but some things are much more immediate and much shorter term and much have, you know, have to kind of go into implementation, um, within just a few months. And so, um, I would say our focus today is really kind of focused on where the most growth is coming from, really understanding kind of the, what I like to say is kind of the top of the funnel. As you think about a, a very broad funnel that starts to kind of narrow as you send people through the, the ranks as they level up and, you know, achievements become unlocked, it does become a smaller pool. So really looking at what, you know, um, responds to the most people um, where we can affect the most change is where, you know, we're focused at right now. I think like everything, it depends. It's very situational, both based upon where the market is at and the size of your organization. Um, things are very different at an organization like Microsoft than they would be at Ivan or even smaller places. Um, what I, The way I'm looking at it right now, we're going into a downturn. And so there's a lot less moonshots. There's a lot less long bets. Like we're focusing, you need to focus on the things that will have a more immediate payoff um this just came up in a conversation i had internally the other day which was about like we've got a couple really cool things we could be doing as far as some personas and it's a matter of okay well we can't do everything and one of them is a longer shot is a longer bet right it's actually both will pay off but one is going to take more time it's going to be like hey that's that's going to take us a year to get to that point what can we do this quarter Right. And it's, 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 you know, you don't want to always be short sighted. You do want to look strategically, but 
you know, and this is uh, my, I, I haven't come up with it completely, but my closing keynote for Devrel Khan, I think is going to be called how to Devrel and capitalism and keep your soul. But this is the thing. If you ain't selling it or making it right now, you are an easy one to get rid of. And the days of I'm a Devrel that gets to just sit around and contribute to upstream and play around with stuff. Those days will come back. They ain't now. You know, so so the the more that you can be connected doesn't mean that DevRel should be tied to DAU or ARR directly, but you need to be able to say how am I moving the needle for business outcomes, um, directly or indirectly, and those long shots, those long bets are a lot harder to show. So I think that's the thing when you're looking at it today and the way the economy is, the way that the market is, uh, the indicator of where you spend your time is the thing that's going to have a shorter term payoff um but you asked this question to me eight months ago the answer would have been different right so it, it's in flux i wasn't gonna go to DevRelCon, but now <laughs> i might it's my birthday i'm <laughs> celebrating my birthday in prague at DevRelCon. you need to come uh, that would be wonderful it's, it's cool right Jason? <laughs> yeah we have the right person on i here. mean just to prove it it's oh, fine. Yeah. i don't see the problem <laughs> but yeah i mean i i totally agree that it's it's something that's in flux. I think though, and this is a topic that is very top of mind for me as I'm in Berlin talking strategy with my team and figuring out prioritization and things like that for 2023. And I think prioritizing for, you know, what's, what's the impact we can have right now? 100%. But also if possible, if you have the bandwidth, if you have a big enough team, being able to say, you know, 70% of our time is going to be spent on things that has an impact right now. 30% of our time is going to work toward those long game things. Because if we're only focusing on what's the impact we can have right now, then you're still losing time as far as that long game goes, right? So being able to say most of our time is spent here so that we have things to show you, but we are going to commit some time to this this longer side of things um, because I think it's important to, to have those long game bets happening so that you can be tracking that further down the road. Wesley, I know you had a question. Yeah. And this may have already been answered. So if, if it has, you can just say same thing. Um, Cause I know we've talked about uh, short term as, as opposed to long-term bets. We've talked about uh, impact and uh, reach uh, but, but, but my question is that when you start throwing the spaghetti on the wall or tossing that pond in the water and you send out these ripples, you send out these experiments and then it starts to come back. When you start to get feedback from what you're already doing and when we're talking about beyond developers, we're talking about groups that are outside of that kind of narrow scope. So when you start getting feedback from groups that haven't traditionally been your core when do you start to think about whether or not you want to expand on that to actually add those features, to do those tweaks, to make those changes, to, to go ever expanding out to the group? Or when do you figure out that, you know, that we've heard them, but we're choosing not to do some of the things that they're demanding because we find them to be too niche? How do you, in terms of you get the stuff back, how do you make those decisions to move forward and, uh, let's go with you first, Maddie. So a, a couple of things. So one is, again, when I'm thinking about 
the 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 way you described the feedback sort of belied the developer slash software engineer type of DevRel, which was that they're going to want a feature, they're going to want a change in the product versus like kind of more the way it goes. So I say the way that you're measuring the feedback I look for is what are the conversations that are happening in the industry and are they are the the things we're trying to talk about coming up. But but from a, but again, doesn't mean that people that aren't software engineers don't make ridiculous demands out of your product. I mean, that happens all the time. Um, but a lot of times it's because they're trying to, for lack of a better word, use it wrong, right? You know, and that's the thing about transformational products is that you try to make the thing do the thing you're used to. I, this just happened to me at Chef is, you know, I would, I would go work with customers and they'd be like, okay, we have a server build process and there's 18 steps. How does Chef do all 18 of these steps? I'm like, but with Chef, if you change step two, you don't need steps three through 17 anymore, right? And so it's sort of looking to that. Um, the other way is this is true of any feedback. I, I've, uh, I'm going to attribute it to Jesse Frizzell, but I think she took it from someone else. But it's sort of the maintainer credo, which is, no is temporary. Yes is forever. Right. You know, so when you get these requests that come in, just because you say no, it could be no can mean not now or with some changes. Once it's yes, it's there. And there's a lot of cases and this this actually starts. This is a whole other product problem when you have the customer that's got a big enough deal with you that you will take their BS and put it into your product. And now you have to deal with it. And sometime we can talk about uh, why uh, I indirectly was responsible for a whole bunch of engineers at Chef having to certify Chef Server on Suze um, because that's what Ford Motor Company demanded and our CEO. Dad as long as long as you don't name names, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll name the names all over the place on that one. That's fine, and I apologize to all of the Earth Chef engineers that had to do that. It was my deal. That how hard could it be? Right. Well, now and now because of that, for indefinitely, every chef server release had to be tested on Suze. Right. So that's 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 sort of what that's sort of the trade off is you're saying, okay, if we do this, and that's the kind of thing that I feel like you hit more of those weird edge cases in like OpsRel because everybody's a little different and they have their weird way, and every snowflake has six sides. So it's a lot of like, okay. You get that feedback, and I guess I guess to 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 quickly more succinctly answer your question is look at it and say, is this something that you really need, or can I change how you're doing this? Because maybe you don't need steps three through seventeen, actually. Yeah, I would. For me, I would say, first of all, I'm not in the product group, so um, we influence the product group, but I'm not actually the product builder, and so I don't want to speak for them in terms of their prioritization. But obviously we have to think, be smart about how we synthesize the feedback and develop, a re, develop relations to the product group because we can't just throw all the feedback at them. Um, and so, you know, for us, um, when I think about it with, with my team, you know, how we're going to do that, we think about centers of gravity, where is it really starting to percolate? Um, and, you know, there, there is a difference between like, you know, Maddie, to your point, like, you know, if there's a problem with like the point of sale solution at Walmart, that probably is a bit more urgent than some of the feedback that we're getting from students. But students are equally important. Scott Guthrie will say that students are beginners and their first impressions of our product is a lifetime experience. So it better be good. 
Um, but we definitely partner with research. Um, you know, uh, we look at the research coming out of McKinsey or Boston Consulting or Gartner or whomever. What are the groundswells? Where is the industry really heading? Let's skate to the puck. For example, data. Um, you know, it's not just data scientists. There's going to be millions of data analysts. What can we do to help? Because we have a story there. We actually have a value prop there. So, you know, that is going to be something that the product groups are going to be looking at. So, um, you know, mirroring the, the feedback with where there's real pockets of movement and impact and, you know, and, and validating that with the third parties. That's why we look at the research. Um, it's not just, you know, it's not just our perspectives. I mean, my, my bias from speaking of all the developers I speak to would be very limited. What is it in aggregate um, from someone objectively studying the industry and the potential? So that's how we kind of focus the prioritization. I think that's a good place to put a pin in it and keep going. I was muted. Professional podcasting, everyone. Um, but before we even get to the checkouts, I just want to say, Jay Ritz, thank you for making our first ever hockey reference. As a former hockey coach, this was a huge deal for me. Um, this 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 episode is going to go down in history as one of my favorites, just for that, no other reason. But that said, it is actually time for checkouts. For those of you who are new to the podcast, maybe you don't know, but we do this every episode where we talk about things that are maybe related to the topic or maybe not, but things that have been on our mind that we think are cool to share. And I will start at the top with Wesley. Why don't you go ahead and go first? Okay. So sometimes we travel to Berlin or wherever, uh, but we might need to edit on the go. So um, right now, LumaFusion is really great for video editing. Uh, if you have to do that, if you're making clips uh, on the go with a tablet, um, usually they had it on iOS for a very long time, but right now they're doing a beta on Android uh, and also Chromebooks and they've reduced the price by a third. So you can get it right now for 20 bucks, Luma Fusion. Uh, if you join into their beta and when they do the release, they are gonna give you the full version mm -hmm. after that. Uh, and it's a really top notch editing kit. And so I highly recommend it. So uh, Luma Fusion, get it right now while you still can for a discounted price. While supplies last. Uh, Maddie, what have you got for us? I have a couple things. Um, the uh, first one is uh, a website, or it's not really a website. Everything's a website, right? Um, it's a tool that's both it's it's an open source and decentralized tool for managing uh, key authentication, actually authorization or authenticity, called Keyoxide. So if you're familiar with Keybase, um, and we all loved Keybase till they pissed us off for some reason. Um, Zoom button. Yes, that's right. They were bought by Zoom. So Keyoxide is not owned by any one person. Um, it's a pretty cool way to be able to just sort of say you are who you say you are or more to the fact this person and this person are the same person. So, uh, you know, so if you go to my Keyoxide page, you can see that, yes, this Mastodon profile is the same person as this Twitter profile is this GitHub profile. Um, so that's Keyoxide.org. Um Another one, I've been listening to uh, Dave Grohl's audiobook of The Storyteller, which is uh, Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters and Nirvana fame. And he reads the book and it's fascinating. And I especially love all the stories that he tells of being on the road and also how, you know, he grew up and was exposed to punk by, you know, his uh, Chicago area cousin who was super cool and 
all of that. And if you know me, you know that if it's at all connected to Chicago in a story, I will enjoy it. Um, and then finally, just a silly thing. Um, my dopey kids got me playing Fall Guys with them, which is kind of a silly game, but it's a lot of fun. And if you're not a hardcore gamer like me, this is probably right up your alley for something you can play with people and not have to be super smart about. Also, the, to, to add to the Fall Guys, Maddie, each game lasts about five minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's so super it's not, quick. It's and huge... I have a Doctor Who skin, so that's also made, is fun for me. Oh, so. I'm jealous of that. Yeah. All right. Duly Mary, noted. What have you got for us? Um, so I have been having a lot of conversations with my team about product-led growth. Um, I'm sure a lot of companies are talking through product-led growth right now and what that means. Um, but one of the interesting things that I'm not sure I shared on here before, um, but when product-led growth initially came out, I read the book that was released and the first like chapter and a half, I'm sitting there going the entire time. Like this is, it's, it's reskinned developer relations. It's developer relations under a different name, right? Like the concepts are the same. This is what we've been trying to do for years. This is all the same thing. And now lately community-led growth has started to pick up traction. And so now there's a lot of questions around like, well, what's the difference between PLG and CLG? How do you use the two in conjunction? How do you compare the two? There's a lot of definitions of community-led growth that I don't agree with and that are a little bit um, too heavy on the like, how do you leverage your community members side of things for my liking? Um, but there's a blog post put out by Common Room recently that talks about how to use those two together, um, which is great because it's it's showing how they are complementary, how you can use them together, what to kind of talk through with your, your leadership, your management to help them understand why it's not opposing forces, but complementary forces, um, which has been really helpful for kind of explaining to, to my team as well as other people throughout the company, um, what our viewpoint is, why we're tending to prioritize certain things over others, um, and how we're going about making those decisions. So if anyone else is kind of entering that PLG, CLG world and trying to figure out what it looks like, um, that's great. Uh, turns out there's for, also uh, a, sorry? I was going to say another plug for DevRelCon. There's a talk at yes. DevRelCon about this. So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So uh, looking forward to that. Daniel Bryant is apparently giving a talk about that. So that'll be interesting to catch the recording. Now that I won't first. Um, but yeah, looking forward to, to more content as people figure out kind of how these work together and what the future holds. Awesome. Jay Ritz, what have you got for us? Okay, I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn here and tell you about a class I took in October. I'm a big Halloween fan. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Atlas Obscuria, if you like anything kind of like weird and strange like I do. Um, they offer a lot of cool online courses. Um, but I just took one around Hollywood special effects about how to make monsters and how to make people look beat up and <laughs> things like that. Um, and it was really interesting. It's such, such a fascinating craft and art um, and like the attention to detail and how they like layer a bruise, um, what comes out of the skin when you, when you like break the tear of the skin, like the liquid they have to replicate to make it look realistic. It was just fascinating. I have no intention of doing this. I don't do makeup or anything like that, but I would just, 
interested in it. And that for me is something that has been another silver lining of the pandemic is the, all the online learning availability. And I've been taking so many different courses, like, you know, I'm interested in Foley, like I'm interested in like, you know, what do Foley artists do and things like that. And um, artists like from Spain that paint with wine. I mean, just all sorts of interesting, cool, creative stuff. But um, yeah, I'm a big, Holly, I'm a big uh, Halloween freak. I still have I got that 12 foot skeleton from Home Depot. It's out here on my porch. It, it's so heavy, it'll be up the entire year. But um, yeah, that was- Put fun. a Christmas hat on it. I, I was I, just well, gonna say, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people taking those skeletons and kind of doing the like, oh, now the, now the skeleton's decorating the house for Christmas. And uh, yeah, I, I think with something like at that scale, you know, we always talk about scale. We don't think about decorative scale. <laughs> um, Jason, what do yes, you got, sir. buddy? Um, yeah, so uh, I just actually added a few more to my list because uh, everybody else gave me some good ideas. But first and foremost, I wanted to share uh, just because this is what I'm I'm personally working on a lot through work is uh, YouTube Shorts. Everybody knows YouTube Shorts; it's nothing new per se, but they are doing a lot of changes um, currently, and and uh, really uh, seems like. Uh, focusing on different functionalities, both in the UI and in the backend analytics. And uh, our team, uh, as Jay Ritz uh, kind of alluded to, we we handle a lot of things. And some of the stuff that we do handle is our Microsoft developer YouTube channel and the stuff that goes on there. So I'm currently experimenting um, with ways that we can use a lot of the shows and events that we put on and different experiences that we, we uh, get involved with. How can we surface some of the good material and content that's in those shows, but like maybe at minute 32 that a lot of people on YouTube don't quite get to? Uh, how can we bring that clip up front and, and get that in front of some people, not only to raise the awareness of that show or event uh, and get some views and eyeballs on there, but um, also just to, you know, I, I feel as a content creator, all of us have on here creating content. Um, it's sometimes disappointing or disheartening to know that you put a lot of energy into it. And, and when you look at the metrics, like people just drop off really quickly with video content. And I don't know that that's a solvable problem, uh, but it's something we we can take a, you know, a, an honest uh, stab at trying to do something about. And this is something we're, we're experimenting with. So, so far the results are, are good and, and it's fun to like um, be somewhat involved with creating content, even though I'm, I'm mostly just uh, kind of taking other people's stuff and, and making it look a little different. But anyway, you should go check it out. If a Microsoft, go to the Microsoft uh, developer channel on YouTube and check out the, the shorts section. There's a bunch of new ones in there that we've been making. Uh, and related to that, um, we have a lot of different ways and people that get involved with editing them. Um, I've experimented with a tool called CrossClip just to have a better understanding of how uh, someone that's not an editor who doesn't use Pro Tools or even even LumaFusion, like uh, Wesley was talking about, uh, to do some cool tr stuff, uh, you can you can just basically give it a URL from a YouTube video and tell it where you want to start clipping, and, and you can put something together pretty pretty easily and fast. So if anybody's ever looking to make some cl cross clips, I'd start or make some good clips of other content. I would start with cross clip. And then last, uh, uh, Jennifer, when you just mentioned you're taking some training, uh, I also recently just started some online training through ArtistWorks, which I've, I'm sure I've mentioned on here as a checkout before because I've been using them for years for different instruments. And I just started um, uh, mandolin uh, um, online lessons for that through Sierra Hull, who's amazing, uh, amazing mandolin player. So bluegrass. Uh, anyway, those are my three checkouts. They're kind of long, sorry, but. 
No worries. No worries. Top I think, of mind I think the, the thing that I like is actually there's a lot, like a lot of resources out there to learn things outside of our regular scope. And like a lot of the checkouts have been focused on that. And I think that's awesome. Um, so my checkouts for this week, uh, ClearWord, this is an, a, a software agent that I found out about uh, last week when I was at Web Summit. Uh, what it does is you've heard of things like Gong where you can transcribe and maybe get an idea of what was going on in a meeting, try to get some emotional recognition, however much credence you want to put in that during a call. What ClearWord does instead is it takes a meeting like, you know, in StreamYard or Zoom or what have you, and it actually lists the action items, who needs to take care of them, and it organizes them in a way that people can actually take action on things instead of just reading a transcript of the meeting to figure out what's going on. So ClearWord's pretty cool. You should check that out. Um, another thing that I've been getting into recently is uh, uh, my family and I have been watching Spy X Family, which is an anime. Um, I don't usually talk about anime, but this is a, a level of ridiculousness that is so high. And it boils down to, you know, this is the very intro, no spoilers here. There is a spy who is very skilled at what he does. And as part of a mission, he has to be in a family. And what do you do when you're a spy who's lived on your own, relied on your own <clears throat> your own wiles for so long and suddenly you have a completely random child who is absolutely awesome um so i, I highly recommend it it is hilarious don't take it too seriously um, but i think it's on hulu and crunchyroll and a few other services spy x family finally my last checkout for this one don't get covid i just got covid it's still a thing um i know that we're talking about post-pandemic but people are still getting really sick so if you can take preventative measures and take care of yourselves out there, folks, because, you know, all of these communities that we work with, whether they identify as developers or not, if you're not well enough to be seen, we can't see you and it's not as much fun to do this job. So please take care of yourselves out there. Get your shots. Do, do, do what you got to do. Um, wear a mask when you're flying. Uh, and of course, as I always like to, to, to close with a quote, I picked this without thinking that it would be relevant, but it kind of sounds like when we talked a lot about change over the industry and things like that. Um, so this is from Paul Simonon, bass player from The Clash. I never wanted to go back and relive the glory days. I just wanted to keep moving forward. Keep going. Don't look back. And with that, thank you to our guests, Jay Ritz and Maddie. Thank you to my co-hosts. And we'll see you next time on The Community Pulse, a podcast for you. You've been listening to the Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io, on Twitter at community underscore pulse, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out our extra podcast, The After Pulse. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Community Pulse.